All right, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them with me now to to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Over the last two weeks, we have seen that this incredible book of Exodus begins with a whole lot of suffering. But that this suffering is not just specific to the Israelite people in Egypt. No, the suffering is actually indicative of a cosmic war that is being waged between God and Satan himself. Between the seed and the descendant of Eve from chapter three, or Genesis chapter 3 and the seed of the serpent. But we've also seen that, that in this war, Pharaoh, who is the anti-God figure in the story, the representative of Satan, he and his superpower nation of Egypt, we have seen that they're actually non-entities before the one true and living God. That's what we've seen in, in chapter 1, and that's what we're going to see in an ongoing way here in chapter 2 through the birth of of Moses. And so let's begin by reading the first 10 verses of this chapter together. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with butamen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. In, in the midst of the cosmic war that is going on all around us that we have learned about over these last two weeks, in, in the midst of suffering and pain and sorrow that we endure on a daily basis, friends, I wonder, where do you find your strength for life? Where do you look to give you confidence and purpose and strength in your daily existence? Maybe you have a naturally bold and confident personality, or maybe you are more shy and timid and fearful. Regardless of what personality you may or may not have, all of us try to find greater confidence in certain things. Oftentimes we try to find confidence in ourselves. Often we try to find confidence in our work or in our career. Often our confidence is in our family or in our friendship network. Oftentimes our confidence and courage comes from the size of our bank account or from our physical health or our exercise regiment. I just finished a, reading a book called The Tools of Titans. 
It's a book by Tim Ferriss, and it shares hundreds of interviews that he has had with many of the most successful people in the world. And the whole point of these interviews, the whole point of the book, is to show what tools these successful people rely on to be as effective as they are. Or in other words, what practices, what habits, what strategies do they put their faith in? Where do they find their confidence and courage to do what they do? And the answers are fascinating. From, from meditating and yoga every morning to cutting out all technology in order to simplify their world, from pristine morning routines starting as early as 3.30 in the morning to careful, precise dieting, from clear systems for decision-making to perfecting the art of asking questions, there, there are many, many different ways that the people in this world seek to lead fruitful lives and many of those things might help in some significant ways. But my friends, might I suggest to you this morning that all of those systems, no matter how strategic they feel, will eventually fail. All of our different ways to, to conquer the day will ultimately not give us the strength and the purpose we need to conquer the cosmic war that we are a part of. Maybe you put your confidence in your family, but what happens when death comes unexpectedly to a family member? Maybe you put your confidence in your budgeting system and your growing bank account. What, what happens when the economy crashes even worse than it has? Maybe you put your confidence in your exercise routine, but what happens when you have an injury and are unable to exercise like you once did? Maybe you put your confidence in your children, but what happens when they grow up and they say that they don't need you anymore? My friends, what are we going to put our faith in? Might I suggest to you this morning from God's word that there is no better place to put your faith than in God himself. Faith in your self-help program, it, it will not help you, it will fail you. Faith in your wallet will fail you. Faith in your kids or your career or your charisma, all of these things will fail. But faith in God will never fail. Our main idea for our sermon this morning is this. Faith in God is all that we need to live courageous lives for his glory. Faith in God is all that we need to live courageous lives for his glory. We have three points. Point number one, the courage of our faith. Point number two, the confidence of our faith. And point number three, the Christ of our faith. The courage, the confidence, and the Christ of our faith. Let's begin with point number one, the courage of our faith. You might think that it's actually a little strange that our main idea in each of our three points speaks of faith, while not once in our ten verses today do we see the word faith at all. And if that seems strange to you, I'm actually kind of glad that it does, because we believe in exegetical preaching. Exegetical preaching means that we allow the text to tell us what to preach. We as pastors can't just import our own meaning into the text and make it say whatever we want it to say. No, we have a responsibility before God to preach his word and not our own ideas and burdens. And so it's an appropriate question. Why the focus on faith here if it's not in the text? That seems to be importing an idea. But it's actually not because part of exegetical preaching is allowing the scriptures to interpret the scriptures. 
And there are at times that even when a text doesn't say something explicitly in itself, we know from other parts of the Bible that there is a fundamental, a fundamental truth in that text, but it's just under the surface. Today is one of those moments. If you have your Bibles, you can flip all the way to the New Testament to the book of Hebrews. Uh, many of you know Hebrews is one of my favorite New Testament books. It is a letter that cares deeply for the people of God who are struggling to keep their faith in Christ. It, it encourages the church to endure and to persevere in their faith. And one of the ways that it seeks to do this is by highlighting the faith of the men and women from the Old Testament. And so you may know this, but Hebrews chapter 11 is, has often been called the hall of faith. It is a whole chapter about the example of men and women in the Old Testament and their great faith in God. And when we think about this, we probably immediately think of people like Moses or people like Abraham and Sarah or Isaac and Joseph, people like Rahab and David and Samuel, people who did hugely important things for God's people and for his kingdom. But few of us might know that not only is Moses mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, but so are his parents. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And so even though it only speaks of how they hid baby Moses, it is referencing all that they did, including what we see in our text here today, all that they did in order to preserve Moses' life, which led to the deliverance of God's people. The writer of Hebrews is, is clearly saying that what Moses' parents do in Exodus chapter 2 is because of their faith in God. Why did they do this courageous thing? Because of their faith in God. Because just like the Hebrew midwives from last week who, who feared God, who honored God, who revered God by faith, so Moses' mother and father had faith in God to take action in the midst of an unbelievably difficult situation. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Their physical circumstances, as treacherous as they were, the physical danger before a superpower tyrant did not steal their confidence in God. Friends, this is amazing. It's amazing because God had been seemingly silent for so long and seemingly inactive among his people for 400 years. But we can imagine that at the end of each day, after laboring hard for Pharaoh, you, we can imagine that, that they would come home and they would tell the stories of Genesis to each other, incre increasing each other's faith and encouraging each other to keep going. We know that that's true because as was read earlier in Exodus chapter 3, when God tells Moses to go back to the people, he says, tell them that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had not forgotten their forefathers. They had not forgot what God had done for them in the past, how he had spoken this word world into existence with mere words, how he had preserved Noah and his family through the floodwaters, how he had wrestled with and blessed Jacob, how he had led Joseph to become a ruler in Pharaoh's house. You can just imagine that in the midst of their deep sorrow and great pain, every night huddling up and recalling the faithfulness of God in the past to give them strength in the present. 
Friends, knowing how strong our God is, how able he is to defeat our enemies, it should give us great courage and great confidence in this life. Moses' mother is desperate. She's desperate here, but she doesn't cower in the corner with fear. No, she knows that she needs to do something. She must protect her son, and she knows that God can be trusted as she seeks him. And so she creates this strategy to preserve the, son, the, the life of her son as long as is possible. It's an act of desperation, but it is an act of desperation with faith in God. And that's what's supposed to stand out to us in this text as we read it. We're supposed to see that though she is very desperate, because of her faith in God, church, her desperation is met with, it's married to God's powerful providence over all things. Well, what stands out to us in this text is how the the faith of Moses' mother was, was rightly placed where it should be. She was not just blindly trusting the gods of Egypt and how they might somehow work on her behalf as she places her son on the Nile like an offering. No, she trusted that the one true and living God could and would work on her behalf. Her faith led her to courage. This was dangerous. It was dangerous for herself, it was dangerous for her son, it was dangerous for her family and for all of the Hebrew people. Pharaoh did not like to be crossed, but it was the right thing to do. Friends, we must see that this is part of the gift of faith which God has given to us. Faith in God is not just for our ultimate salvation. Faith in God does not just get us into heaven. No, it strengthens us and emboldens us to live a fruitful and godly and courageous life right here and right now. Rightly placed faith in God enables us to live courageous lives for him. Friends, there's something else that I think we should mention here. Faith in God gives strength and courage not just to those who are already strong and powerful according to worldly standards. Faith in God gives us strength and courage to those who the world would say are weak and insignificant. So important to see in this text. The the people that God is using in this story thus far, they're not powerful people. They are weak people. If you were to share life with them on a daily basis, you would not be impressed by them at all. They're weak Their lives are unimpressive, seemingly ordinary and mundane. Tim Ferriss would probably never interview them as some of the most successful people in the world. They're ordinary. Their lives are boring. But their faith is rightly placed in the one true and living God, and that gives them the strength and courage that they need to do extraordinary things. And so, church, if you feel weak this morning, if you feel insignificant, God's word wants to remind you today that your faith in God can change all of that. It it contradicts the world's perspective of your life. God's word says that if your faith is in him, then your life is one of power and significance and purpose. And actually, I I want to talk to some of you in a particular way today. I I want to talk to all of you ladies. I want to honor you ladies this morning. God wants to honor you through this text. In chapters one to two, it is It is the men who look like idiots, which is not hard to believe because we are. But but in this text, it is the women who in that day would have been seen as insignificant and powerless. It is the men who accomplished the most for the Lord by thwarting Pharaoh's purposes. Ladies, God 
loves you. He delights in you. He honors you. And he has good plans in store for you. He desires to use your many gifts and your great skills and your deep wisdom to do significant things for his kingdom. And I thank God for how he already is using you in this church and in this area. Friends, let me even speak more specifically. In this text, the, the women are highlighted, and even more specifically, it is, it is spoken of as the women who have compassion and care for children that is highlighted in a particular way. This is not the only way that women are, are used by God, far from it, but it is a primary way. Women are designed by God to have care and compassion for children in a way that men simply are not. And we see God use that to do great things for his people through his word and even today. We can see it in the midwives. We see it in Moses' mother. We see it in Moses' sister. We see it in Pharaoh's daughter. There's compassion and pity. There's a care and compassion within women that is so much of God and it deserves to be honored. Ladies, your place among God's people is so important. Mothers, in particular, listen, your work as a mom is so important. I know you feel unseen. I know you feel forgotten. I know you're run down. But you are doing extraordinary work. And when done with faith in God, he is going to use it in really powerful ways. I, I love this quote from Phil Riken about all the women in the story. He says, with all these women against him, perhaps Pharaoh should have been as worried about the Hebrew girls as he was about the Hebrew boys. It's brilliant, and it's so true. Ladies, God loves you, and he desires to use you. But now, what, what if your faith in God is weak this morning? What if you are doubting whether you can trust the Lord or not. If that is you, you need to continue to look at this text with us today because God has good for you here. Let's go to point number two, the confidence of our faith. The confidence of our faith. Sometimes, sometimes as Christians, we can cognitively know, we can mentally know that our faith should be in God, but then we can question whether that's true or whether it will provide anything for us. We, we know that we should trust him for that relationship, but then we try to micromanage that relationship in our own strength. We, we know that we should trust him for our future, but the future seems so complicated and, con and confused that we can't help but become anxious and worried and fearful. We know that we should trust him enough not to say those words to that family member, but we take matters into our own hands and we let them have it, either through our words or through a text message. If we are Christian, we know who and what deserves our faith and trust and confidence, but sometimes doubt can lead us to put our confidence in other things, oftentimes even in ourselves. But friends, this text today, this story is supposed to remind you this morning that when your faith is in God, there is no better place for it to be. You can trust him fully. You can follow him fully. Consider the flow of this text with me. In chapter one, Moses, or I'm sorry, Pharaoh tries multiple evil schemes. He tries forced and cruel labor in order to suppress the Israelite people. But it says that the Israelite people multiplied even more. He then tries telling the midwives to kill off the firstborns as they're being born, but they disobey and the people multiply even more. Finally, up in verse, 
Verse 22, is it, of, of chapter 1, he, he gives an edict that everybody should throw these little boys into the, into the Nile. But God continues to thwart his plan. Listen, even when his plans are technically followed, they still don't work out. Technically, the mother of Moses does what Pharaoh said, right? She puts the baby boy into the Nile, but once again, it turns out for good rather than bad. It's ironic. This is supposed to show us that God's providence, his sovereign control can be trusted even in the worst circumstances. The schemes of evil men do not compare to the providence and the sovereign control of our faithful God. Church, just consider God's control in these verses and how it can give us confidence that our faith in him is rightly placed. Verse 1, Moses' mother is desperate because she knows that his life is in danger and so she hides him for three months. That must not have been an easy thing to do. You ever try to hide a crying baby? It's a miracle that he wasn't found. Pharaoh is on the hunt, but he, but God, preserves his life. Verse 2, when, when she could hide him no longer, she creates this plan. She, she places him in a basket and puts him in the water. Think about how dangerous this is. Who would put their baby alone in the water by themselves? Verse 4, his sister stands at a distance watching and is not caught by the soldiers for doing so. Verse 5, Pharaoh's daughter finds the child and she has Courage, or Pharaoh's daughter finds the child. She has compassion. She doesn't follow her father's edict and, edict and just throw him back into the water. She has compassion. Verse 7, Moses' sister boldly approaches the daughter of Pharaoh and suggests that she find a Hebrew woman to nurse the child. Verse 8, the daughter of Pharaoh miraculously agrees. So Moses' sister, of course, goes and finds the baby's own mother, her mother. Verse 9, not only does Pharaoh's daughter allow the mother to take the child, but she pays her wages to do so. This is crazy. This is extraordinary. What, what an extraordinary series of events. But listen, consider how precarious this is. It's so, it's so fragile. A soldier could have found the baby, not Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter could have been an evil person rather than a, a compassionate person and just thrown the child back in. If Moses is the deliverer of God's people, then that deliverance is hanging by a thread. The basket could have been, it could have sprung a leak and sunk and the baby died. An alligator could have come along and swallowed the baby in one gulp. A storm could have come up and ruined the plan. Who knows what could have happened? Everything here, everything in the story is so fragile. It's not a slam dunk. It's not a guarantee that this is going to work out well. I wonder how fragile your life feels right now. I wonder how precarious your circumstances are. Do you feel like you are hanging on by just a, just a thin thread? Do you feel like you are just, just one small wave, one small ripple away from being overturned and drowning? Are you just one more argument away from sinking? Are you just one more pay cut away from losing everything? Are you just one more trial away from dying altogether? Does your marriage feel like it's hanging on by a thread? Does your sanity feel like it's hanging on by a, th a thread? Listen, Exodus chapter 2 is for you, Christian. 
It's for you this morning. It is supposed to highlight that our faith in God is rightly placed. You can have confidence in the midst of your precarious situations, in the midst of your fragile life. You can have confidence because God, the living God, the one true God, is always at work behind the scenes. He is clearly at work in your life. He's keeping the basket afloat. He's leading Pharaoh's daughter's eyes to where they should be. He's guiding the conversation. He is in control in your life as well. Christian, you can trust the Lord. You can have confidence in him today. He is at work in all circumstances. He is working all things together for good for those who love him. Now, listen, I can't say that everything's going to work out perfectly for you. I can't. We have to acknowledge that despite the beautiful work of God in, this, in these verses, Moses' mother still has to say goodbye to her son. He's raised by another woman. That's hard. That's painful. You can imagine that there are many tearful nights where his mother cries herself to sleep, longing to be with her little boy again. Life is going to continue to be hard. We cannot guarantee or promise that, that prosperity is around the corner, but we can have confidence that our God is using even our trials for our good and for his great glory. Faith in God does not mean perfect prosperity, but it does mean that his providence and his sovereign control is going to work perfectly in our lives, even in the darkest, most difficult moments. Christian, you can trust him. Right now, wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, you can trust our faithful God. In the midst of great trial, God is still at work, and he's at work in ways that will bring about the greatest deliverance in our lives. And that brings us to our third point, point number three, the Christ of our faith. There are just, there's just so many indicators in this text that that what is happening here is not just a, a fun story to read. What's happening here is so much bigger than even just Moses and his mom. It's It's so much bigger than even the Israelite people who are stuck in Egypt. What what is happening here is that God is at work, not just for Moses and these Israelites, but for all of God's people, for you and for me. What we're reading here is, is not just the prelude to the story of redemption out of Egypt. No, it is the prelude to an even greater story of redemption for all of God's people, a redemption, a great exodus from sin and from death itself. These verses are supposed to be read by you and I with with eyes and ears open to gospel hope. There's gospel hope in these verses. Church, consider with me the, the whispers of God's salvation that we hear in this text. First of all, verse 1 says that Moses was born to a man and woman of the house of Levi. It says it twice in that first verse. At this point in history, that would not have been a big deal, but we will see later in this book that the Levite tribe is the tribe chosen by God to be the priesthood, to be the tribe from which men would mediate between God and Israel. The priesthood, the Levite tribe, literally stood between God and Israel, offering sacrifices to appease for their sins. Moses was a mediator between God and man. We're going to see that explicitly in chapters 32 and and chapter 33, how he stands between God in his wrath and holiness and Israel in their sin, just like 
Jesus, our great high priest, is our great mediator between God and man. Consider verse 2 and how it says that a woman conceived and bore a son, which is language reminiscent of God's way of salvation throughout all of God's word. Reminiscent of when another woman, a virgin, would bear a son and would call his name Jesus. Consider with me in verse 2 how it says that his mother saw that he was a fine child. That that word fine, what, what does that mean? Well, in Hebrew, it actually means good. Literally, it's she saw that he was a goodly child. It's, it's the same word used back in Genesis chapters 1 to 2 when God made a new creation and saw that it was good. That word is supposed to remind us as readers of how God creates new things out of darkness and how he has good plans for this world and for his people. Something new, something exciting, something good is starting through this birth of Moses just as something extraordinarily good happened through the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. Consider verse 3 when it says that this woman took this child and put him into a basket. The Hebrew word there for basket is the same word used in Genesis chapter 6 when speaking of the ark, the large boat, the large floating basket that Noah made to preserve God's people through the waters of judgment, the flood. It's the only other time in the whole Bible that it is used, and it's used here to to describe this basket. And so clearly, it is supposed to make us think of God's past and God's future redemption through the waters of judgment. Consider with me the name given to this child in verse 10. Pharaoh's daughter says, I'm going to name him Moses because I drew him out of water. Biblically speaking, water is a sign of God's judgment. It's a place of punishment. And so Moses' very name is an indicator of what is going to happen, that God will bring his people out of the waters of judgment. But we're not just supposed to think about the Red Sea. No, We're supposed to think about Jesus and how he was baptized into water and how he lived a perfect life and how he died our death and how he parted the raging sea of God's judgment so that you and I could walk through on dry land without a drop falling upon us. All of this is pointing forward to Jesus. Church, faith in God is all that we need in life because faith in God gives us Jesus. He's where we find the gospel. It's where we see his ability to use great evil, not just a Pharaoh's edict, but even the evil of a Roman cross. He is able to sovereignly use the greatest suffering in this world for our good. Christian, because of Jesus, your name is Moses as well. Your name is Moses because God has drawn you out of the waters of judgment. You were drowning. You were hopeless. You were perishing under the weight of your sin and under the evil schemes of this world. But he, by his grace, has brought you out. He has delivered you. He has saved you from your sins. Your feet are no longer searching for solid ground. You are standing on the rock, which is Christ. He is supporting you. He is holding you. He will never fail you. Faith in God is rightly placed faith because only God can help us in this way. Only God Only God can sovereignly use your pain and sorrow and trials to bring about such beautiful good in our lives. Christian, you can trust him. Some of you came in today 
saying, I don't know if I can trust him for another week. My friend, you can trust him. If you are a non-Christian here today, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, what are you putting your faith in? Where do you find your confidence and courage? Is it in yourself? Is it in your bank account? Is it in your career? Is it in your charisma? Is it in your morning routine or in your physical strength? My friend, all of those things are going to fail. All of them will fail. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus today. Put your faith in him who is the rock for his people. Put your faith in the good news of Jesus Christ and find confidence and strength for your life that is unlike anything else in this world. Maybe you're already a Christian, but you don't feel confident or courageous in any way. Maybe you're in a season of discouragement. Maybe your life feels pointless Maybe you regularly ask each morning, what good can God bring about through my mundane existence? How can I be courageous for him? What opportunities do I even have to be courageous for him? Oh, friend, faith in God can give you courage to just keep living faithfully. Simply being faithful to him is a courageous thing to do in this world, and so don't give up. But faith in him can also give you courage and strength to be even more intentional in your life for his glory and for your good. Maybe it's courage to prioritize fellowship groups. Maybe it's courage in him to participate in the conversation in greater ways at fellowship groups. Maybe it's signing up for core class so you can, your feet can be grounded in him in even greater ways. Maybe it's courageously trying to exercise your prophetic gift in small group or here on Sunday morning. Maybe it's volunteering to lead a ministry team. Maybe it's, if you're a young mom, it's, it's just fighting to believe that your time is not being wasted, that what you're doing is valuable in God's sight. Maybe, maybe it's standing up for truth in the workplace, refusing to work in an unethical way. Maybe it's simply resolving to endure trial again with your eyes fixed on King Jesus and to never lose hope. Faith in God is rightly placed faith and it leads us to live confident and courageous lives for him. Amen? Let's pray.